Hey there, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us for our study in the Gospel of Mark. We pray that it blesses you and that your mind is blown as you encounter Jesus Christ in a fresh new way. If you're looking for more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Just in your own life when you pray for something that Jesus might answer, but it isn't always in the way that we expected, or maybe it isn't in the timing, or it has a twist to it. Like, I think we can relate to this one. When you pray for patience, you don't necessarily get more patience. You just find yourself in situations where you're pressed to use more patience, right? Like, I want my children to listen and obey, but I just find that I'm being worked on to grow in more patience, right? And we have seen those types of prayers through our study in Mark 2. Um, Jesus is preaching in a home, and it gets very crowded, and the outside is very crowded, and a group of friends bring their friend, they drop him in, or they don't drop him, but they lower him in through the roof. And Jesus says in Mark 2, 5, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say you're healed first, go out, go to church. He says your sins are forgiven. And why is it that Jesus does that? Like, what is he doing when he shifts maybe what we're asking a little bit? And what I see is that he's looking at the heart through eternal eyes. And we're just looking with earthly eyes, right? Like, I think about if I go to the beach and I stand out on the shore and I look out at the ocean and I can see what's in front of me and it's just ocean that goes for miles and I turn to the left and the shore continues and the water continues and then I turn to my right and it's the same thing. It just goes on and on. But I have to turn, right? But God, when he sees, he sees all the way forward, all the way back and side to side in completeness. He is seeing all eternity in one look in one glance where we have a very small view of what he's doing right and so i think what he's trying what he's going to do with us through this is he's shaping our hearts he's telling us to go deeper to ask for more to really um, prune us down to say see what i really want to do with you so we're going to begin in um, mark chapter 8 verse 31 where jesus Peter says, you're the Messiah, and now Jesus is going to predict his death for the first of three times. It says, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You can't see what I see, Peter. And so you don't, you don't understand, although it says he spoke very plainly, you don't yet get what I'm trying to do. And he goes on in verse 34, whoever wants to be my disciple must themselves, um, sorry, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Right? So Peter's like, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, but this is what I've come to do. And this is how I'm going to do it. Not in the way that you're imagining, right? Like Peter and those who've come before him, the, the prophets, they're not wrong. Jesus is coming to save but Peter's been under oppression from Rome, and there are others that have come around him. There's 
taxes and other kinds of things that they want freedom for, but Jesus has come to do more, right? So then Mark quickly jumps us into the next thing. It says um, in chapter 9 that after six days, Jesus took, we're in verse 1, Jesus took Peter and James and led him up onto a mountain, right? So they get up to the top of this mountain and Jesus is transfigured before them. He's a glimpse of heaven. He's no longer just man, but the glory of God comes and rests over him. And he, it says, there he was transfigured. His clothes were dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them, Elijah and Moses, they come too. And Peter's so stunned. He's like, this is awesome. This is what I came for, right? So we're going to put up three shelters, which um, in He's saying we're going to build three temples, and you guys are going to stay here, and this is it. Like, thanks for predicting your death, but this is what I'm here for. Like, Jesus, just stay like this. But then God speaks over um, Jesus, and it says, Then in a cloud appeared, and covered them in a voice from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly, Jesus is back to man, and the disciples are stunned. So God has given this command. We've seen a glimpse of Jesus, a glimpse of heaven, and God's given this command over them to say, listen to Jesus. So they come off the mountain, and they're probably like, okay, what do we just witness? Jesus is like, you know, we're not ready to share this. Just, you know, they're talking amongst themselves, and they walk into a scene of chaos because the other disciples, the other nine disciples are down below, um, in the valley, and they are trying to perform some miracles that's not really working. They've got a crowd who's upset and impatient, probably asking where Jesus is. Um, and it's kind of a bit of a mess. And in verse 14, it says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with him about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, and they could not. So you have this father who is desperate. He has a son who's been possessed for many, many years. They're probably not a very popular family. They're probably outcasts. They've probably moved around looking for a teacher, a healer, a doctor, someone to step in to their lives and help them. And this father is at the end of himself. He can do nothing else. Um, he's been brought to a place of humility because he's inadequate and he needs Jesus to touch his life. And Jesus, um, in verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answers. It often throws him into fire or water and tries to kill him. But if you, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And the boy is healed. Right? So the father has come to this place where he's saying, I'm ready to unlearn. I'm ready to change. I'm ready to do whatever it is that you want me to do. I don't have anything else holding me back, right? I just, I'll do anything for you. So um, they leave this chaotic scene. Jesus has performed this miracle, but um, the disciples are a bit, you know, distraught because of what's um, gone on and they couldn't heal and the other three disciples are still probably amazed and so they leave this and it says they left that place and passed through Galilee. So 
where we are right now on Jesus's journey is he has been doing healing and miracles and works, and now he's headed towards Jerusalem. He's headed towards the cross. And so this last stretch um, of miracles that he's performing is his march to head that direction, right? So they left that place and passed through Galilee, verse 30. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask. Which I think is interesting that it says they were afraid to ask. I know in my own life when I get into a situation where maybe I don't understand it or I'm nervous, I can either go at it or I can just say, well, I'm just going to pretend that this isn't really a thing right now. And maybe if I wait it out, it will go away. Like, I'm just not going to focus right now. I'll just push that one in the back burner. And I think it says that Jesus had spoke plainly. He's been very clear about his mission. And the disciples are like, we're still not on board with that. So we're just going to like let that one hang over here, right? And even to the point when it says when they came to Capernaum, um, it Jesus says, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet on the way because they had argued about who was the greatest. So even still, they're not ready. They have a piece of their heart um, that isn't uh, ready to, to hear from Jesus. So we're going to cover, Mark is going to give us these next couple of pieces of humility, which is where Jesus is leading us. Um, and the first, we're starting in um, chapter 10, um, verse 1, is... Um, on God's heart for marriage and his idea for us. And so I need to give a little background. So it says, Jesus then left the place and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. So this, where he's at is very important because he's now entering back into Herod's territory, right? So we learned about Herod um, two weeks ago in chapter seven. Herod uh, married his brother's wife, Herodias. She divorced her husband. The two got together. John the Baptist spoke openly about their marriage and their union and how it wasn't right and not God's intent. And then um, Herodias basically, you know, like tricked her husband and then had him kill John the Baptist. And Jesus is now in that same territory. So the Pharisees come and they're like, you know, this is a very good opportunity for us to trick Jesus. This is a very good opportunity for us to have him say the exact same things. We're going to ask him the same questions and we're going to see what his response is. But Jesus doesn't like us. I mean, I like a good argument and sometimes I like to argue just to argue because it's fun. But Jesus doesn't like that. He doesn't play tit for tat. He goes, he goes right for the matter. So they say in verse 2, some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce to send her away. And Jesus, it was because your hearts were hard that Mo Moses wrote this law. Jesus said, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So the Pharisees are trying to trick him up, and Jesus is saying, from the beginning, God's intent was for a man and a woman to join and to be together, that they were to die to themselves as individuals and come and go forward for one goal, and not for there to be this, this sin. And even, um, it continues on in verse 10, the disciples don't like this answer either. 
Because this means that they're also required to have the same humility in their own marriages and their own relationships. And they question Jesus again, and he's like, I'm done. I've told you. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. And Jesus is like, I'm finished. But what this also does, Jesus' answer, is he's giving us a picture of God's heart for us. And his heart has always been that we would be with him for eternity. But sin came in and divorced us from that. And so Jesus is coming to right what is wrong, to bring back his bride, to save us and restore that relationship. So not only are we seeing our, how we should act in other relationships towards other people, but also what God's intent is for us and what Jesus is going to do when he goes to the cross for us. So our next spot is, um, he continues immediately after that, and it says in verse 13 that people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it, right? So children at the time did not have any rights. They weren't regarded as individuals who mattered. Um, they were pushed aside. I mean, even um, it says the disciples rebuked them. They're like, hey, Jesus isn't really here for you. He's here for these other types of people. Like, maybe come back when you're older. You know, they're just cast aside. And Jesus saying, like, no, I came for these children, this kind of humble heart, this kind of open heart is who I came for. Um, and it reminded me, so last year for Harvey's fifth birthday, my oldest son, um, Stuart, wasn't yet two. And we have him in the high chair and he's sitting next to Harvey. Um, and Harvey has this a fire truck cake with like um, a sparkler candle, so it's even cooler. And we're singing him happy birthday and Stuart's just like wide-eyed, like staring at this cake and this candle. And we finish singing and Harvey blows out the candle and Stuart goes, Ein cake! And sticks up his hands and he's like, cake, 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 like pounding. He like wants his cake. And I think this is what Jesus is saying here. Is that Stuart had nothing else holding him back. All he wanted was that cake. Everything else didn't matter. All he wanted was a piece of that awesome cake. And that's, that's how um, Jesus is asking us to be. With an eager heart, an open heart. To come in to God's kingdom, not with force, not pushing people aside and picking who's first, but to just come in with open arms, ready to receive his kingdom. So in contrast to kind of that heart, um, Jesus walks further along in the way, and it says in verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit um, eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And Jesus goes through the commandments. He's like, do you know these? And the, the ruler's like, teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy, right? He's like, listen, I've got this down. I have my checklist. I do my devotional. I know all the rules. I don't break them. I'm kind. I don't steal. You know, I pay taxes, I, you know, whatever. I do all of the things that religion has me do. But Jesus looked on him and loved him. He had compassion. 
One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And he's not saying that if you're rich, that that's a bad thing. But what he's really trying to get here is that the man lacked something. And for this man, his wealth was his thing. It was his thing that had a hold of his heart that kept him from receiving um, the kingdom of God. But ours are probably different. Um, it, could, it could be a car. It could be wealth or a job. For me, it's control. I like having control of things. I like planning things. I like having, you know, a bunch of different plans. So if they all fall through, I'm like, here are my 35 other backup plans. Like, I thought of this. It's fine. And that is the thing that creeps into my heart, takes up root, and says, I'm your thing that you're not letting go. And some of us, it might be resentment. You know, that, that one can take a hold of us. Or worry. Worry has been mine in the past. I like, and it may be coupled with control, but worry, even though, it, it stresses us. It's also a safe place. If I'm always worrying, then I'm not letting go. What happens if I stop worrying? And so Jesus is saying to this man, for you, go sell everything. But ours might be let go of whatever that thing is to grab a hold of me, right? And he even says um, in verse 29, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, childrens, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last will be first, right? So, so many who think they're humble will be humbled and those who are lowly will be lifted up, right? Because he's talking about a new way of doing things. See, the disciples, and I keep like saying Peter, but the disciples, you know, even the Pharisees, like they were worried that Jesus is going to make more laws. He didn't come to do any of that. He came to knock all that stuff down. He didn't come to make a new corporate ladder or a new food chain. You know, he came to establish the way, which is God and all of us surrendered to him. Um, and so the disciples leave here and they go and Jesus, um, Jesus uh, predicts his death a third time. Um, and I think I was noticing this yesterday. As it says, and I'm in verse 32, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Which, how amazing is it that Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, he's heading towards the cross, and he is leading the way. He's not straggling behind. He's not, you know getting lost so he can avoid, you know, where he's going. He's leading the way to his death, to his surrender. He is showing us what it looks like to be surrendered and to be humbled. And it says, um, again, he took the 12 disciples aside and he told them what was going to happen. We are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. So he shares this. And it says, then James and John, in verse 35, the sons of Zebedee call, come to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. 
They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left. And Jesus has just said, I'm going to die on the cross. And we've got a sacrifice. And they're like, okay, that's nice. But can you pick which one of us is going to sit where? You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So Jesus is saying, you know what? You will serve. You will give your lives. You know, you will get to the place of being humble and you're going to follow me. You're right. But to get, decide that, that's not the point. That's not what's going to be decided here. So the, ten, the other disciples, they hear this and they're like, this isn't fair. We got left out of the voting and they're mad about it. And Jesus gathers them all together and he, he lays it out for us. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, right? We've seen Jesus' authority. He shares his power. He gives it over. He doesn't abuse it. He comes humble. He comes serving. He's saying, so everyone else does it this way, but this is what we're going to do. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So even Jesus is saying that this is the way it truly is. And if my Savior, who has all the power and all of the authority, can be a servant, then what does that make me? I'm no better than that. Like I... Jesus is paving the way and he's saying this what? My only response is to follow him, right? So we have one more story that seemed like Mark, like why didn't Mark put in this story of healing right at the end? But I think it really ties in Jesus' heart um, with the message. So in verse 46, they came to Jericho and as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want for me to do, do for you? Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus. He went with him, right? So why does Mark include this story right at the end? What, it, what is he doing right after Jesus has told us that he came to serve? Why does he include this? And I believe this story of Bartimaeus is to show us what it means to be stripped down, to have nothing sitting outside of the city, pushed aside by the crowd, rebuked. He's blind. He's not regarded as anyone. Um, he's gone after other methods of healing, I'm sure. Um, he's given up all of his things, but he's exactly the kind of person that Jesus has come to save. The disciples in the crowd, they still don't get it. They don't understand who Jesus is really, who Jesus really is, but Bartimaeus's response is exactly what Jesus is asking us to do, to cry out with a humble cry, and I think that's what he's doing with our hearts when he doesn't answer our questions and our prayers and the way that we, that we have asked. 
He's going deeper, right? He's stripping another part of our old self out. He's taking another broken part out. He's teaching us something new. He's removing what hinders. We're unlearning a part, another part of us that sin has locked us into, right? He's challenging our perception of what needs to be fixed. See, we have this mindset, I do, that if I could just do this, then this will happen. If I just had this job, then this will happen. If I just was healed this way, then this will happen. If my spouse would only do this thing, then our marriage would be here. If my kids would only do this, then our family would look like this. And we do this in our nation, our government. If our leaders would only be elected, then this is how it would look. If they'd only had these laws, then our country would be here and we would not be in the same place. But we do it to Jesus too. If he would just heal this, then we would be here. If Peter, you know, Peter did it. Jesus, if you would just come be the Messiah that I have, just stay on the mountain, then we would be fine. We wouldn't have to go through all this, right? But, but God says, this is my son, listen to him. And Jesus says, I didn't come to, serve, to, to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life up. That's what I'm doing. See, humility requires a teachable spirit and heart. The father with a demonized boy and... Um, it was said, show me my unbelief. Bartimaeus was ready because he was at the end of himself and he wanted to be healed. He only wanted to follow Jesus. Both hearts were already aligned because they were already humble. They were ready. But the hearts of the Pharisees, the disciples, the rich ruler, and us at times are hard. We don't understand because we're not ready to learn and we're not ready to change, to give up and to surrender. God said, listen to him. Soften your heart. Make yourself ready, right? Because Mark's purpose for writing all of all of these and Jesus' whole journey and the reason why he keeps saying, predicting his death and sharing about humility, the first or last, like showing all these things is because he's headed to the cross. And the only way we're gonna be able to accept what he's going to do at the cross is to make ourselves ready and to be humble and to throw off our cloaks and to say, help me, help me overcome my own, unbelief, right? To bow to our knees and acknowledge what we have done, to turn for whatever that thing is, our wealth is that sits in our heart, um, and to trust him, to say, not my will, but yours be done, and not my kingdom, but yours be built. That's what we're saying we want Jesus to do, right? So I think this morning as we close, my prayer for myself this week um, and for us has been, where do we need to be healed where do we need to be humbled? What are those spots that we need Jesus to come in and massage and soften, right? To, to come to Jesus, our Father, right? He has open arms. He doesn't, he's not condemning either. It's not like when we surrender whatever we've been holding on to that he lords it over us. He's like, come on, it's fine. That's okay. I knew. I've got you. And he welcomes us in. So, Lord, I pray that we would be willing to let go of whatever it is that binds us. Oh, Father, we pray for freedom, and we're going to rest in it. We're going to stand on the promise. We're going to stand and ask for more of that mountaintop to see a glimpse of you, Lord, so that we can continue forward. We're going to stand in your promises, and we're going to surrender whatever it is that binds us, Lord. We thank you that you sent your Son. We do not have an example who doesn't get it, but we have Jesus who surrendered himself. Lord, we have um, 
We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way who went to the cross for us. And so we surrender these things to you, and we thank you for the things that you've done and that you will do, and we ask for more. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.